Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction audiobook series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, Cold Passage. Guy Dry heaved a bit, then got into a deep coughing jag that wouldn't stop for a whole minute. The warm-up was too fast. Philo had said so, and Aubrea had agreed. Warren had told them both to shut up, after first looking at Zeke to see what he thought. Zeke hadn't acted pissed off or anything, so Warren lashed out in reflex. Disagreeing with Zeke made you a target for Warren, because that was generally a safe thing for him, and he didn't have to think about it. Except that warm-ups were Philo's job. He had the cert. You didn't rush these things and expect people to bounce right up. There was a cycle to warm-ups. He'd said it. He'd said it. And now here it was. The little chubby guy was hacking like he was drowning. And maybe he was, because there was fluid buildup over the course of even a couple days. And if you didn't follow the cycle, the human body didn't have time to process it all. <coughs> what, 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 what's going on? <coughs> Mr. DeSanos, Philo asked, holding him under his shoulders and lifting him up to a sitting position on his bed in the tube. You're Ejok DeSanos, right? <coughs> you have the flaming manifest, don't you? <coughs> What's wrong? How long's it been? <coughs> don't try and talk. Take shallow breaths. DeSanos tried to argue with him, but it turned into another coughing fit that led to some vomiting. Philo had known that was coming and had a bag ready though the guy still got it on his gray, sleeveless stretchover. A lot of clear liquid came up, plus whatever he had eaten before shove-off last week. This went on for a long enough time that Philo started to worry. DeSanos was rasping and choking between every fourth breath, and they weren't deep ones. He gave the guy a shot of Respo to ward against pneumonia, a big risk with emergency wakings, he remembered from his old certification class. DeSantos didn't even ask what it was, but only nodded when he looked at the red mark on his pasty arm. Zeke called for a progress report right after this, and Philo told him over collar Mike that it was going okay. They'd both be up on the bridge in a half hour. Zeke said all right and cut the line. DeSantos rubbed his black eyes. They were dark, yeah, but he had deep rings under them like he'd been beaten up, another side effect. Then he rolled them around in his sockets, doing a side-to-side -side circle thing. 
Philo recognized the standard retinal display startup routine. A lot of people had them installed these days. For a moment, the round man studied data only he could see, then tried to speak again. It turned into a low but extended hack, and he leaned over the edge of his tube, spitting on the floor. Philo would have to run the mop bot now, if they survived. <coughs> only eight days? DeSantos started again. What's wrong? Is the ferry okay? Um, there's a... there is a problem. I'll let the captain explain. Are we evacuating? <coughs> Wait. The short guy looked around at all the other freeze beds. Row upon row of them were all closed up, sealed and signaling green. <coughs> Why just me? There's a... well, a, a problem... Philo repeated, helping him to his feet and over to the big public fresher at the end of the aisle. The man would need a shower and change. DeSantos accepted the help, though he was walking steadily. Clearly he was feeling better now. At least, Philo had thought so. The steam from the shower got the fat guy coughing again, and noisily he puked once more into the drain. He moaned like he had a terrible hangover which Philo knew he really sort of did. Zeke called again, sounding pissed off. Philo assured him they were on their way, and the angry man cut the line. The captain is, uh, Ezekiel Gravis? DeSantos asked, clearly reading the information off his eyes while opening the baggage locker next to his open freeze tube. He mispronounced the name. Yeah, Zeke Gravis. Philo affirmed and corrected. Zeke always got cranky when people said his name wrong. Now wasn't the time for a cranky Zeke. DeSantos put on a black wrist comp, a short, flat thing, almost like a sports handguard. It went on to his left forearm with just a quick slap, then he waved in the air above it with his right. He turned to Philo with a dark face. No heat? Grav or Atmo problems? No excess rad? The words were filled with anger and suspicion, like an accusation. Please, mister, just follow me. Zeke will answer all your... How many? Excuse me? How many bogeys are moving in? Philo stood there, rooted suddenly, and very shocked. How could you possibly... You need a gunner. DeSantos interrupted, anger gone as instantly as it had flared. <laughs> it was so funny. Philo had centimeters on this guy, and he looked so sick and dumpy. But for a moment there, he really hadn't. Not even a bit. It's what's on my public ID as primary career track. I have other certs too, but you couldn't know about those. If you woke me up out of all these others eight days into a 17-day ferry ride, we must have been jumped. So I repeat, how many? Three, Philo breathed. This guy was just pulled from minus temps, yet... Oh, oh, maybe they had a chance. How far off, the fat man asked, then motioned him to lead on. Philo started off at a quick pace. DeSantos right behind. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just the past tech. 
oversaw the Rimstay team that got everyone into their tubes and frozen down. In flight, I maintained the cryo gear. The gunner had had to jog a little to keep up, and it got him coughing again. Philo stopped to let him breathe. You don't... <coughs> you don't have a licensed gunner signed to this trip? <coughs> she got fired for shove-off, Philo told him. Don't know why. You can't fly without a gunner. <coughs> That's not a law here in Margus. Not for in-system flights. Skyin, uh, uh, the scheduling manager back at corner station at the rim, she said, just make the run without. It happens all the time, mister. They were able to press on after a minute, and Philo went slower now. An elevator was at the end of the companionway, and they took it all the way to top deck in silence, except for little wheezes from DeSantos. Warren was just approaching when the doors opened. Glad you could make it, he growled and stepped right into Philo's face. Philo looked away and didn't say anything. Warren could get mighty sore if you pushed back when he was in a mood. How far are they? DeSantos put in. Warren looked at him and then to Philo. Zeke said not to say anything. You don't like to listen, do you, Philo? Where's this Zeke? The round man asked, then started off the way Warren had come. On the bridge? Yeah, Warren replied, leaving Philo's hearing issue behind and stepping up alongside DeSantos. The recently thawed passenger started coughing again, but not badly, and he didn't break stride. Philo followed behind. In two minutes, they were at the roll gate hatch to the passenger ferry's bridge. It was open, and they walked right in. Zeke turned from the sensor display wall and walked over to DeSantos. I'm Zeke Gravis, skipper aboard Rodeo Queen. Sorry to wake you, Mr. DeSantos, but we have a situation. Ninety minutes ago, three contacts appeared on sensors. They must have been holding a static orbit on the far side of Cyclops. That's the gas giant we're angling around. We got a stand down from them as soon as they broke the horizon. Traffic sats gave no heads up? Nope. Do you get a ping back from the nearest ones? We get a ping from traffic, yeah. But they aren't showing us these jokers. Ah, DeSantos muttered disgustedly, shaking his head at the deck. Gangsters. Just great. Zeke looked at him hard, then at Warren, who seemed quite wary suddenly. What do you mean, Mr. DeSantos? As he replied, the short man stepped over to a boxy Atmo vent near navigation and perched himself wearily on its edge. I mean, local organized crime. If the sat-navs are working but zing these guys out, then someone's cracked the things. That's outside the skill set of your average Corsair, in my experience. At the same time, buoys are territorial property, fleet issue. Now, fleet has no base in Margus system, but they do own a couple docking bays on the orbiting stations closer in. I've been here before, I've seen them. 
So fleet vessels have to come and go from time to time, and every one of them, no matter what its purpose, does an automatic status check on any buoys they pass. That's a standard thing. It helps in maintenance. If they haven't picked up a traffic satellite problem yet, then this is either a new development, which would be telling all on its own, or someone is paying fleet maintenance techs to look the other way. That takes real money, so they wouldn't do it unless it made money. With traffic sats picking and choosing who gets seen and who doesn't, cargo runners in the know could use this cyclops of yours as a meetup point or as part of a smuggling corridor, and there'd never be any record of it. Random pirates or shifty tramps wouldn't be in the know, so who does that leave? Zeke had actually taken a step away from the man as he talked, his hard look fading into something like... something like Philo had never seen on him before. Fear? Couldn't be. We're down a gunner, the captain said after a moment and pointed to the gunnery panel on the wall. Think you can help out? We have almost 2,200 passengers in the freeze right now. DeSantos shuffled over, coughing again, though it didn't last long, and pushed a few sliders here and there. He studied the wall display and another something on his eyes, then waved at the air over his arm. There wasn't much to gunnery, controls for a single particle beam projector and one anti-missile gun, both with low-end specs. They're in a good position for this, he pronounced at last. Good for them, I mean. Triangle formation, 50k spread between each. Hmm, let's assign them some numbers. One, two, and three. So, yeah, anything short of a tight vec, which no ferry can make, keeps us in range. One of them is throwing off granular radar clicks. That'll be a Molon-style tracker, or possibly a Katakak. Either one means fast attack ordnance. The other two are using sweeps. They're either sporting DEWs or they're hanging back for some reason we don't know about yet. He moved some sliders on the board, then accessed his wrist again. The panel beeped once, and thereafter, the sliders moved on their own in response to his controlling hand movements in the air. Wait, Zeke snapped, suddenly concerned. Did you just slave that to your rig? Yes, I did. You want my help? Let me help. The captain looked undecided. Another first. Some quiet footsteps out in the companionway approached, and Aubrea came in, seeming nervous, sulky. She wore a red, swollen cheek and a gel bandage over one eye. She could be sarcastic to Zeke sometimes. Today must have been the wrong time. Everything's secure, she reported and pointed at DeSantos. This the guy? I'm the guy, the round man confirmed. She just nodded. To Zeke, he said, If this turns into a live fire situation, it's possible that nothing I do will make any difference, but it's going to be my way or not at all. I'm guessing you're out of options. Just keep your interest confined to gunnery, the captain replied, then told Philo to bring the man a chair. The gunnery panel wasn't designed to be needed much. It had never been needed, as far as Philo knew. Not until Zeke had gotten cute. Big Ron didn't like cute. 
Did they say what they wanted besides standing down? DeSantos asked. It's got to be the passengers. Hold them all for ransom. Right, the gunner replied, sounding unconvinced. Then he became involved in more hand-wavy stuff and just ignored them. Zeke was pacing. That wasn't out of character necessarily, but he was certainly agitated. He noticed Philo watching after a minute and barked, Help Ga'at. What's he need? Philo asked. Probably nothing from you. Just go, you're pissing me off. So Philo went. Ga'at Morell was in the motor room, of course. Philo stated that Zeke sent him down to help out if he could. Ga'at Morell called both him and Zeke some choice names in low speak, then asked about the gunner in his high, accented voice. He any good? I don't know. Might be. Better hope is. You think maybe we should just give it all back? Philo asked, but Ga'at Morell didn't reply. Instead, he called Zeke on his collar mic and asked this exact same question. The unsatisfied look on his face when he rang off implied that he had gotten the exact same answer. Philo had nothing to do. He wasn't trained in ship systems beyond some basic emergency repairs, and Ga'at Morell probably wouldn't trust him to help out anyway. Besides, there didn't seem to be anything to help with. The motor room purred quietly, except for the occasional clump-clang noise from the Atmo exchange. It was not easy to sit still, so Philo announced after a few minutes that he was going to check on the freeze units again. Ga'at Morell didn't care, and said so. The passenger cryogenic technician had a dedicated duty station in the center of the vessel. It had several monitoring panels, one for each section of the ferry boat. All across the board, he was showing a temperature alarm failure. It wasn't a cryo cock-up, but rather a temp sensor problem. In point of fact, there could be a cryo failure, no way to know for sure without checking each unit by hand. Was it because of the emergency cycle when he'd woken up to Santos? He'd never actually done one before, so maybe he'd screwed it up. Oh, great. He didn't dare tell Zeke right now. His stomach still hurt from when he told him about Bohe getting fired. Zeke had worn his brass knuckles for that made a big show of taking them out from his back pocket and putting them on, first left, then right. It hadn't been his fault, Philo had pleaded. Bohe just called up Skyen last minute and said she couldn't make the run. Skyen fired her right then, overcome, no arguments, no questions. Then she called up the boat to pass on the news and instructions. But Zeke wasn't around and wasn't answering his collar mic, so Philo figured it was okay to just take the message. When he came back, Zeke didn't agree that it was okay. And he let Philo know how much he disagreed later on, after shove-off, with Warren holding both his arms behind. He still had bruises on them, too. The companionways were open and empty, just as they should be. They were long and wide, 
lined on both sides with cold berths, people riding in from the stellar rim, people on a budget. It was the last leg of much longer journeys for most of them. Starships would have jumped to the edge of Marga's system and dropped them off at Cornus. From there, it was a cold but cheap ride deeper into the gravity well, or a luxurious and pricey one wide awake on another kind of boat, if you could afford it. It was all just routine, a normal trip. New ferries left that rim stay twice a week, some following this concentric arc around the primary, some following that one. Ferries went in system and ferries came out. Regular stuff. Big business, too. Lots of money. Lots of opportunity. That's what Zeke said. Though he hadn't said it today. Nobody had seen them back on the loading bay at Cornus. Philo was sure of it. The big container was open in seconds. Nobody had come by, and sensors were off and on again without tripping any alarms, just like Zeke had planned. It was a smooth operation, and they had no reason to believe anyone knew they were behind it. Except there were three boats out there now. And they were big rons. They'd said as much. They were big rons, and they were coming aboard. If Rodeo Queen resisted or tried to run, it would get ugly. And they were just fine with ugly. They'd said that too. Yeah, Bohe had just not shown up. That was unexpected, but it was hardly unusual on indie ferries. People came and went. Zeke said she'd gotten spooked by the container job. But now Fila wasn't so sure. Big Ron's boys might have picked her up and made her call Skyen so that no one would miss her too quickly. Then they could have made her talk about the container. Maybe that's how the real story got out, because surely it had. But Big Ron couldn't have gotten his boats in place this quickly, could he? It had to be a coincidence. Or not. That wasn't the first container job to go down on Cornus, and Big Ron had been looking for the thieves for some time. Everybody knew that. This was only Philo's second run as part of Zeke's crew, from Alarcom Station close in out to Cornus at the edge of the system gravity well, and now back in again. This was Ga'at Morel's very first cruise on Rodeo Queen, but he and Zeke had worked together before on some other boat. They were friends, of a sort. He had been in on this last container thing, too, just like they all had. It was not impossible that they'd get out of this. It was entirely likely that Big Ron had wanted them stopped for some other reason, and if not, well... Maybe this DeSantos character could shoot down their missiles. It could happen. Stranger things did every day. He wandered the companionways. They were glaringly bright and dead silent. Almost dead silent. He thought he heard voices once, whispers. But when he turned down the aisle, there was no one to be seen. No one awake, anyway. 
It was a spooky run, and it was messing with his head. He decided at length to risk Zeke's displeasure. At least on the bridge, he could see what was happening. When he got there, as a pretext for returning, Philo asked if he could get them all something to eat. DeSantos didn't look like he skipped too many meals, but the man didn't seem to notice the question. Indeed, no one seemed to notice Philo at all. They were just staring down at their instruments, and Zeke was even sitting in the captain's seat, which he never did. I'll want a second burst out of the P-beam right away, DeSantos was saying to someone not immediately present. The only other person awake was Ga'at Morel, so this had to be about the boat's power systems. Look, I know that, but can't you just run a shunt from a junction link directly to the gun cable? Yes, I've had some training, but I'm not an engineer. Look, look, it has to happen, so find a way. Just do what he says, Zeke growled into his collar, apparently listening to the conversation on his earbuds. More power gets us more shots. No, they absolutely won't let us go. You know why. DeSantos was waving in the air like he was shooing a cloud of flies. Warren was at navigation, checking Vex and alternate runs. Aubrea was at the co-pilot's seat, working various settings, which might well have been the first time Philo had seen her there. He hadn't even known she was a pilot. He didn't really know these people at all, did he? But Zeke did. He'd known them, and he'd known other things, too. He'd known his way along those access companionways back on Cornus's cargo deck. Really well, like they were old friends, maybe. Yeah... Big Ron must have had some suspicions, and maybe Bohe had given up some confirmations. Whatever had happened, his people would find the stuff aboard Rodeo Queen if they came aboard. The truth was sitting comfortably right now in freeze tubes all along Section J, tubes that weren't on. That wouldn't be good. Maybe it was already too late. But if it was... Why hadn't they just blown them out of the sky already? It would be easy for them. Three armed cargo boats against a cold passage ferry? They're moving in, DeSantos announced. Do you want them coming aboard or no? We have options here. They jumped out in ambush, they laid threats against this boat, and they have their targeting sensors on us full bore. Legally, a first strike here is justified. Rodeo Queen is in its rights to attack before they do. He looked to Zeke and waited for an answer. You think we can take them? Warren put in like the round guy was out of his mind. Maybe not an overwhelming victory, but I can make them rethink things a bit. If they still mount an attack after that, I might even be able to knock out some of their missiles. DEW strikes, on the other hand, would entirely ruin our day. This boat has no armor. Sure, they'd draw the ire of fleet if they were to fire on us, but they might not care. And frozen people will die if it happens. They don't get aboard this ferry boat, the captain ordered. Wait, Zeke, Warren put in. He said fleet. What could we say to them? 
We could end up with a body count here. We let anyone aboard right now and we'll have a definite body count and the bodies will be ours. Then he pointed to DeSantos. Hit him hard. You got it, the man acknowledged, then began his fly-swatting thing again. It seemed to go on for a few very long moments, then he slashed the air with his hand, and immediately an emergency klaxon sounded, and amber lights blinked on at each workstation. The P-beam had fired. Boat one with the fast ping is quiet now, DeSantos announced calmly. That shot took out its sensor mount. It's blind, at least for targeting purposes. The other two... Uh, let me see, do I... Yes, good, that power shunt's in place. Ready back there, engines? Okay, here goes. And he slashed again. Now amber and red lights popped on. Ha <laughs> ha, the gunner laughed. Belly gate rupture. Never show your soft side, boys. Nice, Zeke added, clearly satisfied. Boat 3 has an internal heat source now. It's on fire, announced Aubrea while studying the display at her console, sounding shocked and delighted at the same time. I'm standing by on the flak gun, DeSantos added, in case number 2 wants to dance, but wait, it's hitting thrusters, courses, Boat 3, probably to lend assistance. It'll be clear of any useful attack vectors regarding us in... one minute? Ah, this fight's over. Hit that boat too, Zeke ordered. No, they aren't a threat now, DeSantos stated firmly. Do it, Mr. DeSantos, the captain ordered. I want all three of those boats burning. That's murder, Captain Gravis, not self-defense. I can't do it. We'd end up in prison. No one will ever know, was the reply. Not about those boats. I don't doubt they're out here without a posted flight plan, but I have to make a full report to orbital control and possibly to fleet. It's the law. Everybody was watching Zeke. He was his calm self again. The external threat was gone, and there wasn't anything inside Rodeo Queen that could be one. Certainly not a short, fat guy no matter how sharp he was. Zeke stood up from the captain's seat slowly, eyes level and shiny. I'm going to say it once more, Mr. DeSantos, and then I'm going to get perturbed. Destroy those boats. You can repeat it all shift long if you want, came the answer, filled with dismissive attitude, a lot of it. Certainly more than the few minor jests Aubrea sometimes threw at Zeke Gravis, and he'd already shown what he thought about them today. And you can get so butthurt you can't even sit down. I don't care. It's not happening. Zeke sighed in the way Philo only ever saw him do, right before he handed out some pain. I won't have that on my boat. Zeke said, standing over him, fists bunched at his sides. Warren was there suddenly, too, and grabbed the fat gunner in the chair from behind, swooping down and then up, catching him in a full Nelson. DeSantos grunted and then cried out when Zeke leaned in and slapped him. Oh, this was it. This was surely it. Let that man go! The voice was loud and sharp and it came from behind them. 
In the open hatchway stood a bunch of people in plain gray unitards. There had to be at least ten of them, and the one in front who had spoken was a tall guy with lots of muscles and a close flat-top haircut. Were they ghosts? They'd just appeared out of nowhere. No footsteps, no talking, nothing. Startled, Warren released the fat man, stepping back, and the gunner started coughing again. Which one of you is DeSantos? the tall guy questioned, his tone still fast and clipped. The chubby gunner raised his hand, hacking. What is this? Zeke demanded and stepped forward, ready for trouble. He was doing something with his hands behind his back. Step back, sir, the man warned him, while he and the others moved in. The bridge wasn't very big, so they couldn't all fit, but Zeke didn't step anywhere except into the tall guy's face. He came up with knuckle dusters on each hand and pulled back for a nasty haymaker. The tall guy lashed out so fast, Philo wasn't sure he'd even seen him move, not till Zeke hit the floor. Actually, he hit Warren when he flew back, and it was Warren who hit the floor, with Zeke on top of him, out cold and blood spurting from his nose. In a flash, the other people, some men and some women, and all of them muscular and lithe, were in and at them. One had Warren, who struggled like a mad cat, secured in a headlock, while two others held his legs. The head thing was a sleeper hold, it looked like, because the angry man went limp and quiet after just a moment. Aubrea threw her hands up, and two of the people just grabbed them and held her in place. Philo tried to shrink away when they reached for him, but the place was packed now, and he had nowhere to go. They were strong! They dragged him out into the narrow companionway, wrenching his shoulder, pushing him face first against a bulkhead and holding him there. <coughs> what about the motor room? DeSantos asked the tall man. We secured that first, Mr. DeSantos. I have Marines in place. <coughs> Call me Ejok, please. Good thinking, Sergeant uh, Sarnov, is it? And, and thank you for this. I know what a fast wake-up feels like. We're trained for it, sir. You're sure about that contraband? The round man nodded, then turned to the gunnery panel. He wiggled his fingers and the display came on. It showed a series of numbers and tables. Section J is drawing 2% of the power that any other wing on this ferry does, which means the tubes down there are all off. We just had a close call with three other hostile boats. Whatever it is they were after, I'm guessing you'll find it down there. Sarnoff motioned for two of the others to go check on that, which they did immediately. What about those other boats? He asked the fat gunner. Pirates? More like local crooks. The captain, uh, that guy you KO'd, nice move, by the way, was willing to risk the boat getting fired on rather than let those guys aboard. I'm thinking they were afraid for their own skins. Is that right? This last question he threw at Aubrea, but she looked away, an angry frown her only response. Where's that skinny guy? DeSantos asked, and the two Marines who held his arms dragged Philo away from the wall into the open hatch. What's in Section J? I don't know. Uh, small metal cargo crates. A lot of them. 
Zeke wouldn't say what it all was when we took him. Whose were they? Philo knew when he was cornered. He always did. It was a common feeling in his life. Big Rons, I think. He uh, uh, moves stuff through corners. Zeke told us it was corporate, though. Said they'd be insured and no one would care. Yeah, he was wrong. If this Big Ron is a smuggler, then he'd have boats making regular runs in and out of the well. Boats he could divert in a hurry and have waiting in ambush at a favorite spot. Philo looked around at the fleet marines who, unarmed, had taken the boat in a matter of seconds. Zeke was the meanest, toughest man he'd ever met, and the tall sergeant had dropped him faster than an eye blink. You're all passengers, Philo realized suddenly. How'd you wake up? That was me, DeSantos confessed with a smile, then coughed again. <coughs> your, your captain told me not to stray out of the gunnery systems, a warning he'd only need to make if it were possible. Sure enough, all the bridge systems are linked. I accessed the manifest and saw that we had at least 14 fleet marines aboard, slumming it, traveling civilian. I shut down all the cryo alarms, then engaged emergency cycles for their tubes. I was heading home on leave, Sergeant Sarnoff put in. Still am, I guess. Though this will be a long series of debriefs when we get to Alarcom Station. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, DeSantos replied with a grin. I remembered seeing people in uniform back in the terminal waiting room before we left Cornus. I sent that note to your personal comm, Sergeant, right after the wake-up, because you're the ranking Marine aboard. Your contact info was in the passenger log. I hope you don't mind. I opened up a live feed from my retinals, too. Did you get it? Yes, I did, the tall Marine confirmed. I was hoping it was a prank, actually. No such luck. Are any of your Marines qualified pilots? No, I checked. But I think we can get one of these characters to continue the flight. Can't we? This he said right into Aubrea's face, and she just nodded, eyes to the floor. In a few minutes, they got a call via internal comm from the two that had gone to Section J. The boxes were there all right, stuffed into unoccupied cryotubes. 86 tubes, to be exact, and all of them full. The small crates carried computer components from corporate space, not a single tax or inspection emblem on the lot. Electronic parts, Sergeant Sarnov muttered dubiously. This was a lot of risk for a fairly small load of components. In the old days, the gunner replied, a little bag of diamonds would have been a fortune and worth a lot of risk. Today... It's restricted tech. DeSantos waved in the air and, after a few moments of futzing, brought up the internal feed from Section J. The two Marines were down there, opening freeze tubes, hauling out small boxes and placing them on the deck one by one. Those are probably for consumer goods that have exclusive distribution deals with their OEMs. Knockoff devices with the same or similar specs are worth a pile of money on the black market. Next year, when trade laws on those particular devices are eased, 
demand for restricted components shifts to something else. It's a big focus for territorial customs right now. I saw a newsvid segment on it just last month. So this is about smuggling. And stealing scraps from the big dog. Apparently the big dog didn't like that. Thank you, Philo interrupted before he even knew he was going to do it. For what? For what? Both the marine sergeant and the gunner asked simultaneously. Those boats were after big round stuff, but they wanted Zeke and his crew too. They'd have killed us for sure if they'd gotten aboard and just set Rodeo Queen to drifting. Somebody would have found it pretty fast, but that wouldn't have helped us. So, thanks. Don't thank us over much, sir. You're going to jail, Sergeant Sarnov stated flatly. Bates going to my maker. Both the tall, muscular man and the shorter, fat one looked at each other and shrugged, conceding the point. What now? the sergeant asked the gunner. Well, now you and at least a few of your people will have to work this passage, I'm afraid. Captain Gravis and the other one on the floor should get frozen down immediately before they even wake up. Then you should call orbital control and make a report. They're sure to get on the horn to the local fleet office, so you'll probably have them to talk to as well. He turned toward Aubrea. That one already knows what she has to do. I think you should have a chat with the engineer, though, and see if you can trust him enough to let him keep his post. If not, I can probably fill in. And this guy is the passenger cryotechnician. I can do that job, too, but I'm no expert, so I'd rather not. The Marine Sergeant looked Philo directly in the eye. Sir... Are you ready and willing to cooperate with the Alliance Fleet Marines who now control this vessel? I need a yes or no here, and you will be held to your answer either way. Yeah, yes I am. I will. Sergeant Sarnov studied him for a moment, then nodded, satisfied. He turned back to DeSantos, who was just standing up from the chair with a cough, followed by a low groan. And what about you, Ejok? The round man seemed to be reading something only he could see. Dark rings under dark eyes lending an impression of supreme fatigue. He waved in the air, and the gunnery panel powered down. I want to sleep for about a week. Luckily, that's an option right now. He motioned for Philo and a couple of Marines to follow him, then tottered off the bridge. listening to Cold Passage, a short story written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter, 
where you can get exclusive content and early releases. This story is copyright 2015 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called Icor by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The Cold Passage theme is called Page One by Somewhere Off Jazz Street and is available on SoundCloud.com. Cold Passage is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead nor any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care. Take care.